Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to writers and artists everywhere of any type, and specific for someone who's trying to make their break in the industry as a writer or artist. And um, we've been doing this podcast now for upwards of four years. Jim's been a guest before with um, his family when he recorded the Rise of the Future audiobook earlier this year. And now we're here at, at Salt Lake City FanX convention with another, that sound you hear in the, is about another 110,000 people walking by. So um, listen to this podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there all over the place. We're also syndicated on the United Public Radio Network to over 150 countries. Anyway, um, I'm here with Jim Meskimen. I've known Jim since... I, we were boys. Yeah, since we were wee ones. We were wee ones. Our mothers introduced us. <laughs> or something like that. But anyway, welcome, Jim. Thank you, John. It's great to be here. It's my first time here at the Salt Lake City FanX. In fact, it's the first time I've really attended a Comic-Con kind of deal, and it's really something. Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting when you, when you get this, because these, the, these are the real consumers yeah. of the books that we, that we publish. This is my audience. Yeah. yeah, Absolutely. You know, you, we've got your sign up on the table, and people will stop by and look, and they recognize all these different characters that you've played over the years. Yeah, I've done, uh, been an actor, a voice actor primarily for the last 35 years, so I've done stuff for Disney and Warner Brothers and all the major studios that we're on strike against, and, <laughs> and, and I hope to continue. <laughs> and, of course, I did uh, directed and did characters for your magnificent stories from the Golden Age and other great uh, fiction by Elron Hubbard, including Battlefield Earth, for which we won an Audi Award. And... Um, Right now, it's not released yet, but Mission Earth, we've got Joe Montaldo, the guy that owns the United Public Radio Network, which syndicates this show. He's in the middle of listening to it right now. He absolutely loves you and your, your character. He's just constantly cracking up with Sultan Grease. Uh, that's great. Yeah. I, I, hope, I hope it'll be available to the world very soon because it's I'm, been it, a long gestation. It. He's, he's definitely looking forward to promoting, but he's going to be one of those guys that's going to be, he's one of the advanced readers on the thing. Yeah, it's so cool, too, because Mission Earth uh, is a science fiction uh, satire. And I think that uh, people, uh, all the people I see walking by, I think would really enjoy it. Yeah, it really does fit everything. And um, one, of the, one of the main attractions we have here, too, is, is Turl. Yes. From um, Battlefield Earth, which you also directed. I directed that. Yeah, yeah. And I love that story, and I felt so honored to be able to direct it because I'd read the book. I would read it every year. And uh, even though it's a thousand-page book or something, it was just so transporting. And it has a magnificent payoff at the end. I think some of these long science fiction, fantasy epics, uh, you know, I think they drop you off and they just kind of expect you to pick up the next book. Battlefield Earth is self-contained and it builds to such a climax that it's just spectacular. Absolutely. That's a fact. Now, one of the reasons I'm really excited to have you on this podcast, because obviously this is Rise of the Future. It's that contest that was created by Elwin Hubbard in right. 1983. Right. And um, it's been very, very successful. But one of the things that uh, writers sometimes have difficulty with is voice. How to be able to establish different voices and different characters and how to make something sound realistic. Mm. So as an actor, as well as, like I used to I remember that one time, however long ago I had, yeah, he's, he's a male impersonator. <laughs> Impressionist, that's the word I meant to use. He's an impressionist. <laughs> <laughs> I, am an, I am a male impersonator. So far, everybody's buying it. Okay, good. So what kind of um, 
advice do you have for like what works and what, more even specifically, what doesn't work on, on narration and voice? Well, I think you just have to remember that, uh, that you're in charge of the words. Like the character is speaking the words uh, in the case of audio, right? An audio book character. And uh, I always try to, when I was directing, I would always try to train actors if they needed it, which most of them didn't, to, to not let the words uh, control the, the outflow of what they were communicating. In other words, you see a bunch of words in a paragraph, you go, well, I got to know the next word, the next word, the next word, and then the sentence is over. And now the next sentence is coming up. And, and that is, that's not the way people talk. First of all, we don't read off of a script. And so in an audiobook, your chore is to make it sound like it's natural, like it's really happening, real people talking. So that's a little bit of a skill. And you yeah. pick it up by, uh, by picking up books and reading them out loud. And uh, I, for anybody who's interested in voice acting, I recommend very much picking up anything, any, a play, a magazine article, something you wrote, a poem, anything, a script, and reading it into something that you can record and listen back to it and see if it sounds natural to you and just keep working on it until it sounds like it's natural. Then, of course, you add in things like character, age, background, accents, all these things. But those are, those are really separate functions. Originally, the original thing is <clears throat> the main functional, uh, fundamental thing, rather. Boy, I'm still adjusting to the altitude here. 4,500 feet. Yahoo! Uh, is to occupy that character, get used to how you sound, and put it forth naturally. Good. Now, at the panel you were just at, you also made a comment about um, stilted voice versus like natural voice. And because you're talking about like one show that you were, you were supposed, they gave you the lines for a show you had to do. You said, well, that's not how I would talk. And they said, no, you got to, you, these are the words. Right. Well, that, that's in the case of a, of a, yeah, like a network show, a big TV show where the author or the director is just very much concerned with every word must be correct. And a lot of shows are like that. Some shows aren't. Uh, most comedy shows, like I was on, uh, well, I've been on various shows that I can't mention, but uh, they, they're a little looser. They actually involve a little improv sometimes. They're interested in hearing your version of it or make it your own or, you know, and you can kind of fudge around with the exact verbiage. Other shows, no, you got to do it you got to do it perfectly. And that, that's, you know, for a guy like me who's used to looking at the script while I talk, that's like, oh, man, now i got to, like, hunker down and memorize and be right. I, I, the thing I love, but I think one of the reasons why a lot of us get into the arts is that there is no right or wrong. It's rather subjective. And I think we're comfortable with that, you know? Yeah. The things where you're right or wrong are, are a little tougher. That takes a little more courage, but... Uh, so anyway. then in terms of a writer now, an author, because you also write, you're an artist, you do all yeah. these different things. So like, I've talked to various people who've given their tips of how to, um, to write narration mm. and how to write dialogue, even more specifically, into stories. Orson Scott Card said, well, just, I mean, if anything, you've got, you know how to do it. It's how to write dialogue. You talk all the time. You're, you're already... You should be an expert. You're already an expert on that. <laughs> so... It seems like you need to unlearn coaching on how to write dialogue. Yeah, I think the best thing to do is to, for dialogue in particular, listen to people, record people, you know. Also, read great writers. Like L. Ron Hubbard's a perfect example. 
his dialogue, it's of a time, okay? He wrote in the 30s and 40s. So we don't necessarily talk like that and use those phrases today. Right. But we communicate the same kind of ideas. We, we sometimes use different words. But his interchange between people is never wordy or artificial. It's always, and you would understand it today. If somebody talked to you like that today, they would just be using, uh, you know, phrases that we're not necessarily, uh, that we might have to run to Google for. <laughs> but uh, if you read a good author, you begin to, you begin to get a sense of it. And, uh, and then it's just experimentation. Yeah, I mean, one thing I know, when you talk to somebody, rarely does someone speak with the continuity, start, change, stop, each sentence before they start the next sentence. Yeah. They're always, you start, you know, and, and then we went over yeah. there and it's just, you don't yeah. finish sentences. It's yeah. just, you know, real conversations kind of go all over the place. So you've got to keep true to your story, but you've also got to keep it real to like, how do people actually talk? That's right. And it also depends on what genre you're writing in, right? So, for example, Shakespeare is an example of someone who wrote lyrically and very precisely and to a certain rhythm and meter. Iambic pentameter. Iambic pentameter, which is also communicates beautifully well. Right. We, don't we don't conceive that the people in 1590 spoke that way on the street, but we understand that they felt those things and they expressed those things. So some fiction is natural, uh -huh. some fiction is more mannered or more stylized, and that's another thing you have to kind of get used to. Like a lot of fantasy novels, I think, use a lot of, uh, fantasy fiction use a more, I would say, more elevated sort of way of expressing. Yeah. And a, a, a book about the army, you know, it's very raw and very abrupt sometimes. Shorter sentences. Exactly. Taciturn. There we go. There's a good word. So on, um, you have, you have taken a career of, you got all forms of acting right here before we sat down to this. You're painting on, uh, yeah, painting on my iPad. Yeah. And you've written stories, films and films, yeah. you know, and so a little bit about that, how, the importance of being diverse, especially, or maybe not especially, just at this, in this day and age, being able to, to like ride any wave and any change of, of waves. Well, I think it's just a lucky break with me. I mean, I've always been interested in a lot of things and I, I've had the good fortune to uh, have the spare time to develop various skills and uh, that people enjoy and I've been able to be useful to people. I've been useful to Galaxy Press, I dare say, because I can, direct and write a little bit and, uh, and uh, do voices and, and I understand theater and fiction and stuff to the degree that I do. And I think that everybody these days, we're all kind of multitasking, we're all trying to fill in. Maybe it has to do with the fact that a lot of people are dragging their oars in the water and not doing so much and it's, a lot of, it's up to a lot of us to, to fill in the gaps. But uh, yeah, I, you know, my mother, on the other hand, she would just, she was an actress, just an actress and a mother, which is enough. And I your mean, mother was? Marion Ross, my Marion Ross, an actress. She played Marion Cunningham on Happy Days, and she was a professional f until just a few years ago when she retired. She's going to be 95 in October. And uh, she taught me a lot, but she, she didn't multitask too much. In fact, she was a great mom, not a great cook, but a great mom, <laughs> a loving and supporting mom. But she, and she did film and television and uh, even some animation and a lot of stage. 
but she didn't write or direct or, or do all those many things. So, but you know, she also had the benefit of working her way up to a point where she was tremendously successful as an actress. And I think, you know, as soon as I get tremendously successful in one of these fields, the others are just gonna, I'm just gonna let them go. <laughs> I, I somehow suspect that you're gonna let your art go or you're gonna <laughs> let your, your creative writing go. Yeah. You're just, you're, I think it's, it's important because I've, I've been doing this podcast now for coming on four years. Yeah, and it's very successful. Congratulations. Thank you. And one thing I've gotten from talking with creatives, it's like, um, yes, it's a, it's a livelihood, but it's also something you wake up in the morning and you have to create. You, you have, have to do it. To do it. It's yep. something that separates the, the wannabe, the dilettante from the actual professional. Even if it's an aspiring professional, it's something that would actually... Um, it makes, makes a difference there. Yeah, you know, last night I'm in at the hotel and sort of uh, getting myself together for today, and there was this little kind of recording that I'd made that I found on my phone while I was driving. It was a kind of a poem, and I was cleaning out my phone, and I was like, what the hell is this recording? And I was like, you know, that's pretty good. So I edited it, I put it to music, and I created some illustrations, and I made it into a <laughs> A little movie last night. I probably worked for three hours. And uh, I was like, well, nobody's paying me to do this. But I just feel like, like you said, I have to do this. And nobody's, you know, barking at me to do anything else at the moment. So why not do this? And that's yeah. my life. So that's something that for people that are, there's nothing wrong with having that urge. Some people have that. And a lot of artists, when they were young people, like, their fantasy of doing art, of doing voice, of doing acting was tolerated by mom and dad. Yeah. But then when they quote unquote were growing up and it was time to like face the world, okay, be done with that fantasy. Now you need to face the world. You need to get yourself a real job. And therein lies a lot of frustration and a lot of difficulties and a lot of pent up anger too from some sure. of the people that actually succumbed and gave up on their life's dreams of being and it it's one thing to know you're going to go to work you're going to work your nine to five five days a week or four days a week or if you go to la three days a week or whatever that's just you know that's not this isn't a podcast about that so i'll just leave it with that i like working me too um, but then no i want to i want to be an artist i want to be a painter i want to be a an actor, yeah. you know, and um, oh, I think I think I know what you're speaking to, and I, it's a it's a great message, and it's one that I promote as well. Is that if you have that feeling, you you need to pursue it. And uh, I was lucky; I had a mom that encouraged me. I didn't have anybody telling me to get a job. Job, you know. I I mean, at a certain point, I had to get a job, but I always worked in the arts after a certain point, and I never looked back. Even though things got kind of rough. I didn't sort of give in and, and go, well, I'll take this job just for the money, you know? So, I, and I think that that's, that's a resource and it's something that you can waste, but you shouldn't, you know? Right. And, and sometimes it's a fight. So you have to surround yourself with people that agree with that and that believe in you. And you have to kind of set aside these people that are gonna tell you, well, you're never gonna make it because they don't know. And why are they telling you that? They're trying to slow you down. So, yeah, I, I feel very fortunate, but I've been very 
selfish in that way my whole career, and uh, I'm not going to stop uh, <laughs> at this point because <laughs> it would be. A yeah, big you're mistake. over 21 now. Yeah, I'm over 21. I got my own. I'm on. I'm loose. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> so then, I mean, a lot of people I, that I've interviewed or I've talked to. Um, people calling me at college, calling in all the time, saying that they agree. They agree with what John's saying. <laughs> yes. So and Hubbard was another great example of this. L. Ron Hubbard was, uh, you know, had a lot of skills, a lot of possibilities. He was a brilliant, brilliant man. He could have gone in any sort of direction. But he loved to travel, he loved to meet people, and he loved fiction. He was a great writer, he loved words, he loved reading. And he continued to always pursue that. He turned all his adventures as a pilot, as a, as a ship captain, as, as an entrepreneur and a, an adventurer. He turned all those adventures into, into memorable, timeless fiction. Mm -hmm. uh, and he, at, a great, at a great time in American history when that was something that was uh, revered and rewarded and had a huge audience. So... If he'd given up and done something, gone to work for the government, oh my God, what a, what a loss that would be. Yeah, when he was, um, I mean, he was, you know, the pilot and he was also a ship captain, but he also then, uh, he was um, a naval lieutenant in World War II. Right. And um, yeah. when the war was over there, he was, you know, I mean, he served his country and he, I mean, he definitely was a great supporter of, of the uh, ideals of, of the United States and what it provided as Freedom. Freedom. Ultimately, it provided freedom of religion, freedom of education, you know, the um, ability to, for people to go off and, and live a life they want to be able to create and have that opportunity, like what you've experienced now, to be the actor or to be the, the artist and not have these constraints put on you that you have to do this. We've had winners from um, Middle Eastern countries. Oh, and yeah. They're far flung lands. Yeah, and they're like they're definitely conscripted to. Uh, you've got to do this. Yeah, and yeah. We had an, an illustrator winner from um, again one of the countries there who her teacher said, "Don't do it. Give up. Quit. You should. You know, don't do it. You know, constantly discouraged at every opportunity she could wow. from doing her art. She's now one of the the leads at USC in creative art. Amazing. Uh, she's I think a sophomore, maybe a senior, a junior now, but she's just. You know, yeah, she's one of those people I'm, I'm tracking her career of that I want to see if she keeps on going like she's going to, to make her a judge yeah. in the next couple of years. Cause it's she's so important amazing. to have someone to encourage you. I think the ultimate in that, I think, is L. Ron Hubbard, who started this contest. Yeah. It's, what an encouragement of generations of authors. Yeah, and it's been, well, we're in 40 years now. We're wrapping up uh, year 40. Amazing. Now, one thing that we did this year that was brand new that we've not done before, you directed and did many of the stories for Elvin Hubbard Presents Rise to Future Volume 39 audiobook. So that's the first time you've done that and you kind of like put dibs on the next books coming down, yeah. you and your family. I always want to do it. Yeah, it was, it was great to be able to, you guys invited me, me and my wife and my daughter. We're all audiobook narrators. My daughter's quite busy with audiobooks. She's an award-winning narrator. There, oh, there she just entered the room now. People are cheering for her. It's lovely. <laughs> uh, no, she's not here. But, uh, yeah, we got the opportunity to read these great stories by all these new budding authors. And they're, I loved it because they're short stories. Uh -huh. Each one is sort of a different genre, different, different author, different kind of language, different sorts of characters. So that requires some invention, you know, and, and treatment of each one as its own unit. 
And so it was kind of like a, I don't know, a big C's candy or Whitman sampler for me. Like, oh, these are, this is, this story is going to be great. This is like really deadly serious. And this story is kind of, kind of a parody, kind of a satire. I like this. So I got to really play a lot of different things. I like versatility. Yeah. And that one with the, uh, uh, Death and the Tax Man. Death and the Tax Man. Yes. That was fun. <laughs> that was a real fun story there. Yes. So on, um, that's one thing that I think is really amazing with Writers of the Future is that all the judges are interested in is, is creativity. And so looking for new, new voices. And so, I mean, this year, just this last week, we announced the winners of the third quarter of Writers right. of the Future, Volume 40. And we had our first time winner from Malaysia. Wow. So you got all these different voices and they, they have... We don't have like, this is the Disney, or here's the Marvel, or here's a certain specific type of, of art or storyline. It's just, how creative can you be, falling in with our strictures of being PG. But it's just, um, it's amazing. So it's, we can promise, I can promise that you will find something in every book that you're going to love, and you're going to discover new voices that need to be you know, get that opportunity to, to be heard. And so, so many people have gotten their start from this contest. I ran into uh, Joe Hill, who's the son of uh, Stephen King. This was wow. a few years ago at um, an American Library Association convention. And I asked him, are you familiar with Rise of the Future? He said, oh, yeah, yeah. I entered that and I, I won, I got an honorable mention. You know, <laughs> Brandon Sanderson, he's like the top of the, of the mountain right now of, of fantasy writers. You know, he got an honorable mention for Writers of the Future before he had his breakout, you know, about half a year later. So it's, it's amazing just um, what's this, I mean, four, four, four decades is like a lot of years of, of, a lot of multiple generations of writers. So even though the original writers, judges are no longer with us, like um, there's uh Dune, you maybe heard of that book there, <laughs> you know, so um, Frank Herbert was one of the first judges. Right, right. You know, Anne McCaffrey with the Dragon Riders of Pern, she was one of the first judges. So now they've, Progeny has taken over, so Brian Herbert, Frank's son is a judge, uh, Todd McCaffrey, Anne's son is a judge, so it continues to, to, to pay forward, you know, for the next generations of writers. So what kind of tips do you have for for an aspiring artist, whether it be a writer or, you know, somebody who likes to paint or illustrate, or like, what kind of tips, the things that you've learned from your own years of experience? What I, the, the biggest lesson I think I've learned, John, is that your interest as an artist is very key, and you have to kind of grant it uh, a lot of a lot of space in your life. So. You know, sometimes when we're creating something, we're kind of in a lonely place. We're off on our, on our own. It's late at night or it's off on a weekend or we finally got away from the kids and the family and we're, you know, in our little man cave or our woman cave. Do women have caves? I guess they do. They're cleaner. And, and it, it's sort of like is, we want to pursue something and there's this little idea we have and it's this little unformed kind of impulse and we can, and it's very easily invalidated. It's very easy for one to just go, yeah, no, because that won't, or think of other reasons or other justifications not to go down that, that little 
spark of interest and follow it. Those little breadcrumbs, you know, on the path. And I've learned that those things that I've followed have made me a unique artist. For better or for worse, all the silly voices, all the work I did to learn to do an English accent, for example, I spent many, many years just trying to perfect it, you know, and I, I, to this day, I, I work on it, I listen, I study, and all those little things adds up to who you are and what you can bring to any project. And so I say, find out what it is you're interested in and allow yourself to, to really follow it and really dig deep on it and don't be discouraged from that and sort of keep it precious. And, and just, because that's, that's a part of you. Your interest has everything to do with you as a, as a, as a person. So yeah. don't let it, uh, don't talk yourself out of it. You know, and that's easy to say. It, you need to practice it. It takes practice every day. Even I run it. I find something that attracts me, and I go, "Well, should I read a book about this?" No, I have to water the lawn. Like, well, like, could I water the lawn later? Yeah, I, I could. Let me read this a little. It's not that long, you know. And you follow it. So then, I think another thing too, which maybe you've you're cognizant of it, maybe not, but finding a place. You know, your, some people call it your tribe, your, right. you know, your people group. that you can be with that also lets you be your, you know, who you are, who you want to be, and don't give you a bunch of grief for it. And I know, and we're going to break that into two pieces here, one where you're able to do that, and the other where you're in a position where you can't do that because of family or boss environment that they're constantly like dumping on you or making little of you, making nothing of you. So let's do the first half first, the importance of of having yourself in an environment which fosters that or encourages it. Yeah, well, any great artist, I think, in history has has people around them helping. I mean, let's talk about Steven Spielberg, a great example, great director, great visionary. Uh, He has amassed, you know, at this point, I don't know, tens of thousands of people that are basically kind of helping him. (laughs) So in the beginning, it was just him and his family and so forth. And that's how it starts. It starts with your true followers, the people that really want to enable you in the best sort of sense. And you you, you want to build it from there. So uh, that's the great thing about having a big family. It was too late in life that I realized, oh, we should have had more children. Because my daughter helps me so much. Taylor Meskimen helps me so much. I thought, God, if we had... If we'd only had three more kids, I'd have three more staff members. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, I've, I have certain fans that always keep in touch with me on YouTube. They write and comment every day. And there are people that I, you know, I ask them, well, what do you want to see? You know, and uh, uh, they come to shows. And uh, so they are. But obviously, they're made up of people that agree with what I'm doing, that are interested and that think that what I'm doing is, is worthwhile. And... Uh, but it's, it's always a team dynamic. And I think artists get used to the idea, I know I did, of thinking, well, it's just me all alone, and I get no help from anybody, and I'll just, I'll just weather it, you know. But really, you build a team. Good. And now, have you ever found yourself in a situation of having to be with people who don't have your best interest in mind? Well, yeah, sure. I mean, when I first moved to New York and I was just starting out, and I wanted to be an actor, but I was making a living as a cartoonist illustrator. 
And I would meet people, particularly in the acting realm, more. And I don't know why it's more, it, seems more, it seemed more prevalent in acting. And people would say, oh, you want to be a voiceover? Oh, you want to do a voiceover actor, huh? Yeah, it's always the same 10 guys that do that. It's a pretty closed field. And stuff like that. And I heard that enough times from other actors. Not from anybody actually in the business, but from people who also probably wanted to have that job. I heard it enough times to realize that, oh, this is just something that people say. This is something that is probably not true. So then I made it a personal policy whenever someone said anything like that to just acknowledge them and say, oh, okay. And then in my mind go, that ain't true. And I just mark it down as a falsehood and, and kind of put a little red check mark on that person's head so that when I saw them again, I go, oh, there's the discouraging person. And uh, so that's, that's one way to approach it. Yeah, now, people aren't always really strong about dealing with, because sometimes a negative person can be really negative and a real jerk. Yeah, you know? well, they can be downright evil. They can be yeah. so discouraging that they're, they're cruel. Yeah. yeah. So this is where I think it's important to have, if you're forced to be with people that are like cruel or just, you know, the, they're nasty, nasty. They're just <laughs> ghouls that just yeah. suck any uh, beauty and life out yeah. of you yeah. um, or anything around them. It would seem like it's important to really have that base of, of friends or other like-minded people to, to kind of like keep a, a sense of, of reality because reality is also what you, what you make it. Yeah. So if someone's enforcing their reality, like you're not going to make it as an artist, give up, don't do it, you're a fool for trying. You know, think of your parents. What will your father, what will he say? What would he say? You know, he's, he's turning you're killing, his You're killing right. your mother by pursuing this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so um, I, mean, I was told that pursuing what I wanted to pursue, I was told, you know, uh, my dad died because of it. Wow. Yeah, so that was oh my god. That was a rough one to have to to bear as a, a I was one. in college at the time, and it was just like wow, you know that was that was hard, you know. So I know what stuff that I did, but any things that you would suggest because you've also worked with a lot of other actors at the acting center. You've had stuff. Yes, my wife's school, the acting center. It's uh, in Los Angeles, the best acting school in the world. If you don't mind my saying so. <laughs> So is, I'm sure that comes up where people have, they harbor a desire to be an actor, but they've got someone else, but they actually have talent. They have a seed of, of talent yeah. that they could succeed. Yeah, and even if you don't have talent, I mean, talent is one of these weird things because people have been telling me all my life, oh, you're so talented, you have so much talent. I'm like, I, after a while, I feel kind of like, I feel a little insulted. Like, no, you know, I actually work pretty hard at this. <laughs> I, I've been practicing a lot, you know, I, I draw for hours and hours, I work, I rehearse, I do voices, I listen, I pay attention. So talent is a thing, for sure, but it's like, that's like where you start, I think. It's like you have a certain, you've got a little leg up, you've got a little advantage, okay, it's, what are you going to call it, genetics or whatever. But beyond that, there is hard work and interest, and I think being interested in something is enough to start you on a career yeah. and you will develop if you're very determined and you're really serious about it you will develop skills and i mean painting drawing impressions all these things these are things that you know 
most people can do. Most people don't want to do it, but the people that really want to do it have figured out a way to do it. Right. Uh, so I, I think, you know, if someone comes up to you and says, well, you know, you just don't have talent. This is the kind of thing that ballet dancers hear all the time and actors hear and singers hear all the time. You know, even America's Got Talent, which I was on, they kind of have that sort of flow of like, well, some people have talent, other people not so much. Like, okay, but talent only takes you so far. So if someone says to you, you don't have quite as much talent as your brother, or uh, you don't have as much talent as you're going to need. Meanwhile, they have no talent. So wh what orifice are they speaking out of? And then what is their intention to you? Uh, and I think if you really examine their intention, even though they may say they're trying to help, they may say, oh, it's for your own good. And I really, I really care about you. And I'm trying to help you with this. I don't want to see you disappointed. They'd rather see you live a, a miserable life where you didn't pursue your interests. They'd rather see you, you know, uh, doing something that they are, are too, they, they've devolved into a kind of a, this sort of frightened state. Anyway, I think if you really examine their intentions, you'll find that you are being a much better friend to you if you pursue your interests and if you ignore those buttheads. Well, that says it pretty well, I must say. <laughs> Thank you. Well, yeah, I mean, there's, whenever you talk to or you, you do a little research about great artists, they've all gone through this. Great actors have been told at one time or another, yeah, you know, you just, you don't have it. You know, you're not going to be a Brando. You're not going to be, a, I don't know, Brad Pitt or whatever. You don't have the looks for this or the voice for that. It's a good idea to just sort of go, why is that person even talking to me? Good. One thing I've, I'm always amazed with, even though I shouldn't be, is like I, I talk to these, I have a lot of the, the, the big New York Times bestselling authors as guests and our, our various judges too. And I say, okay, so tell me about how your career curve has gone. And it's virtually everybody has gone through this thing. They start off, their beginnings are so humble I don't know, I haven't talked to anybody that's had that golden spoon in their mouth and they just kind of like, okay, I'm here, swinging from the brow of Jove, you know, saying, take me. You know, they, they work and they toil. They, like you say, they really ply their trade to master the, the craft. And at some point then, whether it's, they've written their first million words, they've painted their 400th painting, you know, they've, Whatever it is they've done, like you said, the hours and hours you've done of trying to master a voice, learning to speak with an English accent versus a French accent versus an Irish accent versus an Irish accent. But a lot of people that start with English or Scottish, they get lost because it's the UK. You know, and you could talk with an RP like this, or you could be Scottish, but you could get lost in the water. Wow. So that probably took you most of my life. <laughs> okay, good. But that's just something, too. Like, you've been doing voice work now for how many decades? Uh, going on my fourth. So, I mean, right now you can say you're the, you know, one of the best, imp you know, impressionists in the world. But the number of hours that you've put to make that happen. Ridiculous. I, I think you can't Innumerable. play that in terms of in any art form. It's not something that you just kind of like, you don't go to school and say, okay, now I'm, now I'm an artist. 
you can learn, I mean, I think it's important that you learn the history of your trade, you know, to whether if it's an actor, you have to have watched hundreds of movies, right. gone to many, many plays, right. um, listening to whatever audiobooks, just to see like, how do they do that? How do they make that sound? How do yeah. they try to How do they create that effect on an audience? Yeah, and do this stuff. And um, it's just, uh, we're unfortunately in an environment now that the idea of hard work is like, no, you just kind of like, the effort is, it tries to get washed out of, of life right now. Right, effort has a bad name. Yeah, and that's like the, the death knoll of, of anybody that really truly wants I believe wants you mean the death knell. The death knoll is a, is a little is a That's place you in the forest. That's where you bury the people <laughs> that pride. The knoll, the you know, knoll. the knoll. That... Bury them up there in the death knoll. Exactly. That's where we put everyone. Yeah, that's what I let meant. Me, let me lend you my shovel. Yeah. So, um, yeah. The death knell, absolutely. Yeah, and so you get the, um, you know, there's just, there's no, even Owen Hubbard has a whole thing on, on the, he's got, we got a book called Art, where mm -hmm. he talks about, like, you can't scrimp on the shrimp there. You know, you've got to like, the amount of effort that goes in, it's like whatever you need to do to create that art artistic effect that you're trying to create, anything less than that, you don't create the effect. You know, so if you can create that effect and then lessen the effort, okay, but if you can't, then the effort level has to be whatever you do to be able to create that effect. There's that um, story from... Picasso, I think, someone at a bar, you know, you know you're familiar with that story? Yeah, the story, somebody just told me the story, <laughs> referenced the story the other day, yeah, he, he, he sketches something on a napkin and then he wants some money for it, the woman objects, and he said, well, you know, I did it in three seconds, but I've been, you know, spent decades learning how to do this, and yeah. it's, it's absolutely true. You know, so he just, the way he can just, mm. he does all of his lines and strokes. Mm. Yeah. Like but it would be a bad idea, it would be a bad idea for a student to only concentrate on doing cocktail napkin pictures. Okay, good, fair enough, fair enough. But your ability to like, what you just did a few minutes ago, go from one accent to another accent to another accident, accent in literally the same breath, you can't do that at the word start, you know? It takes a lot of work to do that and to make it sound like it's legit. You know, it's one thing you can go ahead and just practice squeaking and then moaning and then groaning and then squeaking again. <laughs> okay, there's four voices. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right. You know, and then when you did that one Shakespeare, you did a mm -hmm. thing with Shakespeare all, and celebrity voices. Yeah. 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 yeah, that was amazing. And it's just that's had over however many millions of, of listens to it. It's yeah. just... It's amazing how you do that, though. You just go boom, boom, boom. Yeah, I always do it in my live show now, and I have the audience call out different, different celebrities, and I just switch very quickly. The facility to switch characters and to go, you know, from Patrick Stewart to Robin Williams in a blink of an eye, I think it's very exciting. And uh, Sam Elliott as well, just kind of toss that in there. That's the thing that excites audiences and shows, you know, that, that yeah, that I've been working on it a long time. It's, it's a fun illusion. It's like anybody, any a magician that doesn't practice, uh, a race car driver, it's all the same. You've got to know your materials very well. In my case, my material is my mind and my, my vocal equipment. Now, you've also been able to do this by going improv. Was that like your, 
your starting point was being able to do improv that led you to be able to do all this stuff and go for it helped a lot i mean i could there are separate paths but i did get started i got started with a lot of things all at once in new york city when i was in my 20s i got started as an illustrator voice artist an improviser and an actor so i was kind of learning it all at the same time but improv helped a lot because it made me realize that there's a lot of there's a lot of value in that first idea that you have or that first artistic impulse as opposed to like really working it out and thinking what's the best thing to do and really kind of getting a little committee formed in your mind to 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 find out what the best solution to something is and improv taught me that no no you know most of the time, just go with that first idea. It's going to be just fine. And, uh, and then, of course, I got in front of an audience and did a lot of, a lot of performing. So. so that's the other thing, too. Like, with any art form, there's no substitute of just doing it. Yeah. You, gotta, you learn things from doing uh, art that you can't learn any other way. You can listen to artists, you can read about their lives, and you can uh, you know, look over someone's shoulder. But until you pick up the brush or pick up the pen or start writing yourself, you're going to encounter uh, other barriers that you wouldn't ordinarily. And, and then when you surmount those obstacles, you will have learned something and you will be better. Yeah. So that's one thing I think is um, another key thing that uh, aspiring I say the word aspiring, but also not even aspiring, just artists and writers and painters in general, regardless of where you are in, on the spectrum of, of success, you still need to keep on working. You can't ever say, okay, good, I've arrived. I've made it now. Right. You know, I am there. Yeah, I think, I think everybody's like that. You know, they, they, I guess it must be tempting. I don't know. I've never been in that position where I felt like I arrived anywhere. I think I've been, I've been struggling and striving the whole time. I don't expect that to change very much. Even my mother, uh, Marion, always said, you know, you never feel like you're really in this business. You're, you're in it so briefly, and then you're, like, waiting for the next job and preparing for the next thing. And it's, uh, there's always all this stuff going on over here and all these bright lights and red carpeting. And, like, well, I'm not there. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, you gotta you gotta keep up with the the new fads, and then that's why I'm painting on my iPad. I love digital art a lot. I, I I still do work with pen and ink and with watercolors and oil paints and whatever I whenever I can scrounge out some time to do. But I you know it's perfect for a place like this here at the convention. I can sit down. I don't have anything messy. I can just uh, turn it on and off, and it's fun. No, that's really good. So now in terms of. Um because I've not really addressed this thing about dealing with negative influences in one's life. Okay. Um, and sometimes you're stuck with it, you know? Yeah. You might have a parent that's just like, yeah, not going to let in, or a husband or wife, mm -hmm. or um, a boss, you can maybe say, you might feel like you're hemmed in and you've got to keep this job because if I don't have this job in, I'm on the streets. And it is a pretty scary, dangerous environment out there right now, especially someplace like in California or New York where the cost of living is so high. And mm. to have a, Ridiculous. I think to own a house in Los Angeles, you have to make at least like $43 an hour was something that I was told. I'm in trouble today. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll, we'll get... <laughs> <laughs> but it's, but what can a person do if they're like... 
stuck with in a, what they feel is, is in a, a situation that they can't get out of. And, you know, the, all, I've can, all I can do is just, I have to give in, you know, I have to give up my passion. What would be some other things or other little tricks or other things that you might recommend? Well, all I can say is what I've had to do in the past. And I have occasionally run into people that were determined to exert some pressure on me not to do certain things that I felt were a part of me. And depending on the relationship, there has to be a very frank discussion. And uh, as much as you can do it without yelling and name-calling and recrimination, the better. But I think I've had to take people aside and say, hey, listen, you're a dear friend, and I just want you to know that when you say these things to me, uh, it's, it's painful, and it's really distracting, and it's keeping me from doing what I, what I really feel I need to do. And so I'd like to, to ask you, with respect, to just not do that. You know, let's talk about something else. Yeah. Uh, if you really disagree with what I'm doing, I don't have a problem with that. But don't tell me about it. Don't lay it out on me all the time. And uh, let's see how far I can go with this, you know, because it's, there's a slight possibility you might be wrong. Uh, so, but it has to be done with real honest communication. And then... If they continue to do it after that, which I've had that happen too, I have a frank, friendly discussion, and then if they really won't lay off, then I realize, oh, it's out of their control. They are operating on it. They're like some kind of crazy robot. They're just not even, they're not even home. And at that point, I feel perfectly fine taking them out of my life and, and just not answering their phone calls anymore and uh, saying bye-bye. Yeah. That's very rare. Very rare, but occasionally I've had to do it, and I think it's all fair. But first, I try to talk to them sure. and say, hey, you know, what's going on? See what they feel like. Why, why are they attacking me? And if they give me the whole thing about, well, I just don't think I want to protect you, and you're just, you know, I go, all right, well, I don't need the protection. I'm a grown-up, you know. And then if they continue to yammer at me or create problems, I go, all right, this is something else. This has nothing to do with you and me. This is just... You're just, you would do this to anybody. So I, yeah. I'm, I don't need to have you in my life. Good. It's a big world. I'm just sitting here at this convention here in Salt Lake. I've seen 10,000 people walk by. There's obviously a lot of people in the world. Yeah. So no lack of people. That's a fact. And one thing too that um, also, I mean, I publish all the fiction works of Alvin Hubbard, but I'm also familiar with his nonfiction works as well. And one of the things that he has, one of the best ways to deal with this too he has to flourish and prosper. I've heard that too, and I apply that as well. Flourish and prosper is a great revenge for anything. Just do really well. Just be great. It also aligns with something that Steve Martin said that I, I heard recently, which was his key to success was be so good they can't ignore you. I think that, that aligns very well with Hubbard's yeah. flourish and prosper. Yeah, so I think that's quite possibly the one of the best things, and that's one of the things also that's that, that the guys that make over the hump that are doing well in life as a writer, as an artist, is that they're doing that. They're flourishing and prospering. They're, they're working on their next book. They're working yep. on their next project. You yep. know, they're just, they're so much into their life as that profession. 
that they just they can't think of doing something else, you know. And so, um, Tom Wood, the person that did the art for uh, for this year's Writers of the Future book, he just that's all I could think of doing. And he had so much grief growing up, mm. so much grief growing up that you know, okay, get over it. Now get a real job, mm. you know. Yeah. Um, he's real now job. he does very well. The but, real jobs are the ones that all went away a couple of months ago. <laughs> So it's, yeah, the ability to like really, um, I think, excel at what you're doing. And this gets back now to what you were saying before. You got to work. You got to practice. You've got to like, when you get up in the morning or like, okay, what do you want to do? I'd like to make a little video right now. Yeah, yeah. You know, so say, let's, let's just go out and watch a, a TV show. No, let's, let's make a movie. Yeah. What? That's another thing, John, I think is something you said just sparked an idea with me too, is that. We are so conditioned these days to be consumers. I mean, we're here at a consumer convention, so that's all great. But for an artist, uh, you can get stuck in just absorbing other people's work, listening, reading, watching, and uh, observing. And that's all, a certain amount of that is fine. But it can get really quickly out of balance where you're not originating things of your own. And you need to communicate your work and not binge watch 10 hours of you know some your favorite show while you know you could be you could be working you could be painting you know so that's a thing to watch these days because there's so many now channels where art is coming at us and mm -hmm. it's all attractive it's all amazing you know i can i've wasted so much time on tiktok just because now it's like only showing me things i'm interested in the wacky weird things i'm interested in and i have to catch myself and go you know, that was a half an hour where I could have done a watercolor painting or, you know, help somebody with something. And uh, so I think that's a big, that's a big uh, challenge yeah. these days is are you absorbing more than you're giving out? That's good. And then on, I guess, your future, because we're down to about the last five, six minutes here. Um, how are you... Do you see yourself going? Because like you've got all these different talents, all these skills, and what you're doing. Like, how's the future rolling out for you right now? Well, I, I have certain things that I want to do. I've got my live show that I'm putting up again. Uh, I did it a couple weeks ago. I'm going to do it again in the middle of October. I love to perform live for audiences. Uh, I'm going to do some live streaming of these shows. I have I have endless amounts of artistic interests. You know, I will never be able to fulfill them all in this lifetime, but I'm gonna try and get as many done as I can <laughs> for the sheer enjoyment of it and to leave something behind. But um, yeah, I, I, I got films I wanna do, I got plays and uh, you know, I even wanna write a book. I, I, it, it's, all, that, it's all a reward, you know? And I think it's the kind of reward that benefits the originator and also can possibly benefit an audience too of, of whatever size. Yeah. So now on the, um, on the future of AI. Ah. And... We need more than five minutes to talk about AI. Oh. <laughs> We're just running through an AI filter. Have, have them generate a discussion with my point of view. Be perfect. <laughs> so you do all these different voices and yeah. the AI, um, I think I just saw it announced that they just put up, I think, 5,000 audiobooks that were um, public domain. Um, they just... Dumped them? Dumped them. Oh, my God. Um, 
on the grounds that an AI computer generated voice would be able to do a story that no publisher would ever want to be able to pay to record because it just, there's not enough interest in it, but they wanted to have it available as an audiobook. So interesting. And it almost made me like sympathetic. <laughs> almost. <laughs> almost. <laughs> Except when the story is called The Wild, which is one of my favorite stories ever. Jack London is public domain, but it's yeah. just such an amazing story. Yeah. And it's already been done, you know. So what do you see as the impact of, of that for, you've got all these different art forms that you participate in. Well, it's, it's really uh, uncharted territory. I, it is shocking how well AI can replicate uh, human expression, and it's only going to get better. However, the thing behind human expression is a human being. And that, as I was saying before, our viewpoint on things, our interest in things is unique. It's unique to us as individuals. And so that is not something that can be automated. Uh, and I'm not just, you know, uh, bragging or being specious, but I'm, I'm saying something that is a fact. It's a technical fact. You have a, uh, a machine that is always behind something. It's only going to be able to kind of copy things it heard before and plagiarize, frankly, things it's heard before. So uh, I have a lot of, a lot of hope. I, I think it's like, you know, there's a lot of things that were automated in the last few decades since I've been around. Typesetting has been automated, certain kinds of uh, illustration and photography. But we continue to go to what interests us as people. And what interests us as people is human expression. We are less interested in things that we conceive are produced artificially. We just instinctively don't care that much about it. And I think we'll feel that way about audiobooks or films or television shows when they are too are occupied by completely uh, mechanized or uh, digitized non-people. I think we just won't care. Yeah, and I think though too, because there's been like, I mean, there's Muzak, you know, that yeah. you get in. Perfect you know, example. That you get to sell, that replaces, but, and even the impact of, of television, to theater in New York. Right. Theater in New York is more burgeoning now than ever in its live performances. And to say that it's going to be, you know, replaced, it's just, I don't see that happening. It's short-sighted, no. Yeah, so. Somebody will make a profit. And it'll help with things that, that really don't matter that much, like airplane announcements and stuff like that. Okay, who cares? You know, it's fine. I don't, you know, nobody burns with desire to, I'm going to, I'm going to wake up this morning and I'm going to do, you know, the phone tree for some corporation where I tell them to press the pound key. I, nobody cares about that. Let's have that be automated. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, you're, I think you're always going to find the people that when I was in college, I could afford a dollar, two dollars to buy one of those posters and then get a black light and it look really cool <laughs> in my dorm room. You know, okay, that. That part of my life is long now since Now I know gone. something about you that I didn't know before. Jim. There we go. There we go. <laughs> I like you even more now. My man cave. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're going to get for Christmas. <laughs> but it's, you know, and I think many people go through that, but that's part of your budget. You, you can afford the, you can afford buying a 99 cent donut. You can afford those, the, the inexpensive stuff, but then you go up. Now you've got more uh, a taste, acquired taste, and so you're going to have 
I want the real thing instead of here's the the, the copy with one of ten thousand copies. So I think it's gonna be the similar thing. You're always going to have a connoisseur, somebody who wants to experience the real thing, wants to see somebody performing something as compared to just buying the CD and just only doing that. You're going to find those people, but you're also going you'll never lose that audience for the um, for the real deal. Well, from your lips to Jeff Bezos' ears, that's all I have to say. <laughs> and with that, <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I mean, we're going to see what happens when, uh, as time rolls out here, but as long as there's people that are going to be able to hear to express and to, and to experience, that's, I don't think that's going to uh, ever fully go away. Well, that's a big experiment. That's what we're all involved in. See how far we can push this whole humanity thing. <laughs> Seems to be catching on. I hope so. I'm definitely hoping so. <laughs> anyway, it's been great being able to, to talk with you and just, you know, finding here at, at uh, FanX to be able to chat. So how does somebody find you? Where do they go to, to see your, your art, your work? JimMeskimen.com. Also on uh, Instagram, JimPressions, at JimPressions. On TikTok, at Jim Meskimen, and I'm on YouTube, too. Uh, just look up Jim Pressions there. I do videos each and every day, at least once a day, sometimes twice and three times, depending on what ideas I get at, late at night. So <laughs> I look forward to meeting you there. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, and thank you for listening. Be sure to check out the Writers of the Future podcasts wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, we've been sponsored by Carnation for the last couple of years, and I really appreciate that. Carnation has been making milk products for over a century, delicious all types of milk products, and I really um, uh, urge you to, to check them out if, you've not, if you're not familiar with it. I think they're all over in UK as well as in America and probably elsewhere too. That's where places where I've uh, experienced it. So um, again, thank you very much for listening. And also remember that Writers of the Future is available in bookstores all over the U.S., Canada, South Africa, U.K., Australia, and everywhere else on Amazon.com. So thank you very much. And from Salt Lake City Fanatics, I bid you adieu.